Welcome to the podcast, Appetite for Distortion, episode number 275. My name is Brando on this Guns N' Roses themed podcast, looking at life through Guns N' Roses colored glasses and later on we're going to do one of our gnr themed segments appetite for discovery we are going to meet mac mullins of the band the ceo which features vince hornsby of seven dust and mac has a really cool story he is literally a 50 year old ceo with a badass rock band now that features a member of, of seven dust and his six degrees of gnr bacon involves Elvis, not that Elvis, so stick around for that. Uh, but first, another connection, to be honest with you, never occurred to me. But when the opportunity, I'm like, oh, I can interview Danny Filth of Cradle of Filth, and I got to go look to see what six degrees of GNR bacon there are. So we're going to talk to him about that. And also, another genre, Another, I could have done a podcast, honestly, about horror. There, other than Guns N' Roses, I, I think about this at times. You know, what can I talk about endlessly? You know, as we, again, we're in our 275th episode. Horror movies, The Simpsons, uh, but horror movies for sure. And I've said it ad nauseum if I ever get to talk to Slash, interview Slash, a lot of it will be about horror movies. Sorry. But Danny Filth is involved in this new horror movie called Baphomet, which if you love Satan, and you love gore, like I do. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if love is the right word, but I obviously I love horror, and uh, it's it's a fun watch. It is a, a truly a fun watch. So we're gonna talk to Danny Filth of Cradle of Filth on the AFD show. Hey, Danny, how are you? Hello. Yeah, I'm good, thank you. So I just watched Baphomet, and I really enjoyed it. Cool, awesome. Well, that's always good news, isn't it? Sure, because I'm, I'm a huge horror fan, and you know, not that like I'm anything special, but I always have like it, it takes a lot, I guess, because I feel desensitized after like I've seen hundreds, if not thousands, of horror films, and there's plenty to enjoy in a uh, bath me. So if you can tell me, you know, how you you know joined this project? Um, well, it was kind of strange, really. Um, the director Mason Harris. Uh, was a massive Cradle of Filth fan and had often come to see us in uh, in Dallas. And uh, I just received uh, an e- email one day saying, look, I'd love you to be, I'm, I'm, I'm doing my own movie. It's taken a few years, et cetera. I'd like you to be a part of it. Um, and I read the synopsis and, uh, yeah, I thought, well, this, yeah, this looks a lot of fun. He's a really nice guy as well. He actually flew over to England to shoot uh, my scenes and used uh, a cameraman of mine and we just we just hit it off we had a really good uh, couple of days while he was here uh, we've seen each other a few times since naturally uh, in Dallas uh, just keep in contact and that was pretty much it it sounds pretty simple okay and I guess it, it was 
because your your scenes and you can maybe tell me because they seemed like were they shot during the pandemic because they seemed like they were just on zoom and everybody else was in the room with each other so i guess how are your scenes shot because you play, well no no uh, he, he flew no this was a, i mean i i shot my stuff about three years ago okay um yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I, I literally was doing a bit of method acting because he said, like, you've got to look a lot older than you are. And I was like, okay, right. So I just stayed up all night and <laughs> 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 didn't, didn't shave. And, uh, uh, yeah. Okay, okay. But, no, they weren't done on Zoom. They were they were filmed, actually, in his hotel. Um, oh, okay. A very nice hotel in South Kensington in London. Um, it wasn't so nice, the room, after we got to it because we literally just uh, – uh, emptied it. Uh, everything sort of kind of went up against the walls and everything, much to the hotel's distress. <laughs> and uh, the funniest thing was that uh, we all went out for celebratory drinks afterwards. And Mason came home quite inebriated back to the hotel, and it was like, oh no, everything, uh, my bed's up against the wall. So we ended up sleeping in the bath. <laughs> uh, that sounds like a horror film in itself. Doesn't it? What is your, you know, if I can ask, what's your favorite horror of all time? Do you have one that's like kind of maybe special to you that when you, you song you saw when you were young, Danny, when you were a little Phil? Well, like, I'd say, I'd say, I mean, the thing that kind of really turned me on from just being a kid and being into monster movies into fully fledged horror, I suppose, was American Wealth in London. Okay. Uh, just because I've seen a bit of John Land, John Landis had directed uh, Michael Jackson's thriller, and I watched the making of thriller. And it showed a few clips, so I asked my dad to, to hire me the video. And it was, yeah, it was the first film that truly scared the crap out of me. Um, so, obviously, I hold it a little dear to my heart. I really also like, um, I mean, God, I, when you ask somebody their favourite, it's like asking their favourite album. It's literally impossible. You can <laughs> run a list of about 20 films off. But also a massive fan of Bram Stoker's Dracula, just because of the timing of it and incidents and you know people that i knew around that time um yeah and i, the, I adore the soundtrack are we going to see you in more horror films going forward um possibly possibly i mean we did our own movie quite a while ago back in 2000 in fact called cradle of fear um mm. and i've done a few voiceovers for cartoons and, and and such forth but yeah if the opportunity arises once more absolutely okay. Cool, because you see people like Corey Taylor do a lot of like their own horror films, obviously Rob Zombie. So it would be fun just to kind of see this uh, this rocker bracket of horror films kind of. Uh, kind oh, yeah, of, of course, uh, Rob Zombie's just given been given the green light for the monsters. Right. Which is uh, intriguing. I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing, but hopefully it's a good thing. Yeah, exactly. If anything, I heard uh, Butch Patrick, who played the original Eddie Monster, is going to be in it. So hopefully he'll oversee oh, well, it and make sure. Exactly right. Yeah, right? I'm fantastic. Yeah. And uh, speaking of horror, I mean, if you can tell the the name of the podcast, Appetite for Distortion. So there's a uh, what I call a six degrees of GNR Bacon. Whatever the connection is to my my guest and Guns N' Roses, and you know, I actually tagged when I, I promoted uh, you coming on and, and Baphomet. I tagged Slash and uh, and Del James, their tour manager, who both are big horror fans. Uh, Del James actually liked my tweet. But if I can ask what connection to GNR that you may have. I know you've played a couple download festivals and you, you had an awesome t-shirt that said uh Parasite City, right? <laughs> yeah, that was yeah, one off. Yeah. No. Um connections, I suppose uh 
I, I presented the award with um, Duff McKagan, his daughter, uh, a few years back at the Metal Hammer Awards. Okay. Um, and I've met Duff before as well. I'd say that was my only connection, really. Um, and he's a really nice guy. Um, so gone quite well. Played a few festivals with him. Um, never played a festival with uh, GNR, though. I thought there was maybe you. I mean, it wasn't on the same maybe same day, but there were a couple download festivals, I believe, that you were on the same bill because it was a listener of mine. Oh, that maybe said, maybe they were. Maybe it wouldn't it wouldn't be on the same day? It, I think it was. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that was that was the year that the people rioted because uh, Axel Rose took about two hours to to get to stage. <laughs> How long does it take you to get ready to go on stage? Obviously, with all the makeup and everything. How long does it take Danny Phil to get ready for a show? Ideally about an hour and a half, two hours, you know, like okay. the warming up and the makeup or the, you know, just being prepared for it mentally, putting all the, the costuming on, visiting the stage, eyeballing the audience, you know, getting a feel for it. But I've been known to like have a panic, you know, 20 minutes, 10 minutes. Uh, yeah, I mean, at festivals, you, 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 you've got to be ready. Otherwise, your, your set gets cut. Mm, true, true. But you obviously must be excited to be, you know, now to kind of turn to, to music and the future of Cradle of Filth because you've been announcing fe some festival dates, right, coming up? Yeah, that's absolutely. That's in the wake of our new album, which is coming out later this year. I mean, we finished it last last October, so this is the biggest gap between uh, an album being finished in the studio and it actually physically being released. But obviously, we're in the midst of a pandemic and we're holding back, trying to. Uh, bring up as close as damn it to when we actually get back to fully fledged touring. Um, and there's, I mean, I can't talk about it right now because it's all in, uh, you know, God's hands, as it were. Sure. But, um, we have a bunch of, of dates for the latter half of the year. Oh, awesome. And I got to say, when I started my radio career, uh, which I can't believe, uh, I guess I'm going to count 20 years ago in college. So I started out in college and I had a metal show every Thursday night called The Aggressive Edge. And that's where I really became familiar with Cradle of Filth. So I can easily say Cradle of Filth, one of the first bands I've ever played on the radio, and it's been so long. And so it's an honor to really speak with you because you're an icon of, the, of that genre. I mean, so what have you seen in maybe your genre the past 20 years? Have you feel, do you feel that Cradle of Filth has become more accepted in the community? Because obviously you've always been kind of like an outlier, which is, I don't know, I'm assuming you kind of want to be. Yeah, I guess it's a bit of both, really. A lot of people um, consider us as, I wouldn't say sellouts, but um, no. moving, I don't know, appealing to, to more than one genre and doing things a little bigger than our genre might physically allow from time to time. And other people just, yeah, other people probably looking in, probably think it's quite a small thing. Um yeah, I mean, it's very hard to speak about one's own band, but we're doing well. We're doing better than ever. We've got some great management behind us now in the shape of Dez and Anastasia uh, uh, Fafara, uh, which is the Oracle management. Uh, new album coming out. Um, yeah, I mean, there's a, a lot of exciting things. We've got beer. We've got some wine coming. We've got... Uh, new merchant, new merchandise for all kinds of weird and wonderful things. Jewelry. It's it's an exciting time. I think the pandemic. We were very lucky with it in, in respect to the fact that the studio we were using was quite close to where I live. Um, so I was able just to 
spend a lot of uh, last year just toying with the record, you know, trying new stuff. Um, we had our busy years, like three three years of just touring the world incessantly just before the pandemic struck. It would have been awful had it been the other way around. We would have been completely bored by now. But, um, yeah, it was. Uh, I hate to say it, but I actually enjoyed quite a bit of last year. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. I'm not going to lie, because right now I, my, my equipment is set up in my apartment. I'm talking to Danny Phelps. So it's uh, it's been okay. Obviously, it's been uh, bad uh, to undersell it for a lot of people, but it's been it's been good. I'm glad it's been good to you to you as well, uh, Danny. I know you got to go. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, Baphomet was oh amazing. Congratulations, and I hope we get to do this again. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, that'd be great for the new record. Awesome. Thanks so much, Danny. All right. Cheerio. Bye. Cheerio. See, he could say that. I said to my fiance the other day, like the uh, the English have like the coolest language. They just know how to express themselves better than us Americans. And she's like, so talk like that. No, <laughs> then I'll be a poser. No, no, I can't say cheerio without looking like a douche or wanting cereal. And it's also amazing that sometimes the most evil looking people, you know, Danny Filth of Cradle of Filth and my, my coworkers, my boss were... You know, if you don't know, like that was a shorter interview because uh, it was through my job at Premier Radio, iHeart. If you know, you know, if you know the podcast. I won't overly explain that whole deal now, but they're like, "Oh, we have an interview opportunity with Danny Filth of Cradle of Filth." Like they had no idea. They're like, "Oh, Brandon likes him. Great." <laughs> it was so funny, but they're always the nicest people. I love it. So, you say, don't judge a book by its cover. And speaking of which. Uh, not judging it's by its cover because if you look at the trailer for for Baphomet, you know it does. It's not the most high end, you know, horror film. But I think if you're a horror fan, you don't really look for that. You know, some of the best horror movies ever are, are B movies and and just poorly made. And uh, so anyway, I I guess I could take credit for this as I mentioned earlier. Dale, I tagged Dell James in the post about this upcoming interview and about uh, promoting Baphomet, and I'm and just in hopes that uh, Del James, he usually does respond, slash never does to me. I, I guess I'm uh, one of the untouchables there. I think I'm one of the untouchables. Actually, you know what? No. Uh, Duff McKagan has been liking some of my tweets lately. The ones that I tag him in with photos, so they're just like very generic. But he he's acknowledged me. So is that a good step? Anyway, so I always, that's why I randomly tweeted Axel and, and slash you never know. So I tagged Slash and, and Del James in the uh, in my post about Baphomet, and Del liked it. And then I see Del post, and if you follow him on social media, and, and it's been a lot of fun as a as a horror fan and a GNR fan. He he really does have a great uh, social media presence because he's been posting all the movies he's been watching during the pandemic. And shortly after he liked my tweet, he said, "Oh, uh, the hundred and seventy seventh movie I've watched." Since the world changed, uh, was the occult horror film, a horror movie, Baphomet. So he writes, I was really hoping for a so bad it's good film, but got a so bad it sucks flick instead. Oof, oof. Oh, that was, I, I felt bad. I was like, oh man, like, did I recommend a bad horror movie? I mean, again, it had its, um, is it the best one I've ever seen? No, but I really, I honestly did enjoy it. I was not uh, lying to, to Danny. Uh, and I responded, haha, well, there was a couple good gore scenes trying to find a, a middle ground with Dell. And Dell wrote, the shark scene was fucking awesome. 
So think about that. We're talking about a, a, a satanic, a cult film, a cult film, and there's a shark scene in it. So there's like there, there's definitely some great, awesome scenes in that film. If, if for whatever reason you don't like the entire thing. So anyway, uh, so that's Baphomet. So that's enough of new horror. Let's talk about new rock, and we do that with a segment we like to call Appetite for Discovery. I just want to bury appetite. That's the goal. Bury appetite. For discovery. Appetite for discovery. The the segment where you guessed it, we look for new music because uh, we're waiting for Guns N' Roses to put out new music. But there's plenty of good stuff out there, and I'm really excited to talk today with Mac Mullins, which is so much to break down. The CEO. So ever right away before I heard the music, which is awesome. Before I knew anything about, I was like, Mac Mullins, he just sounds famous. <laughs> you know, did you get that ever? Uh, you know, it sounds, you sound famous or you sound very, very Irish. One of the two. <laughs> oh, fair enough. No, to me, I was like, it just sounded famous. And then uh, the CEO, that's a cool, and I preface with this word, shtick, but right. it's not, it's not a shtick. You know, you're, no. it, it's real. That's what I, I loved even more. And so I don't want to obviously tell your story. So, Mac, if you could kind of tell us how you came to like bring us up to date a little bit, because you guys have a great story and I, I want to learn more about it and the rest of us learn more about it. You know, just a simple farm boy from Virginia, you know, that, that, that grew up a huge heavy metal fan. And, you know, from the time that, you know, I, I got my first Kiss record in 1977 and put that on, I'm like, oh, my God, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen and heard. And, you know, I, I must do this with my life. So. That, uh, you know, probably the same storyline as, a, you know, half of the, uh, the people out there. But, you know, for me, it was, uh, you know, it was I fell in love with the music at that point, And this is what I was going to do for the rest of my life. Well, as you can imagine, uh, those things don't always work out that way. It's especially on the timeline that you would expect them to. So sure. it's just a matter of, uh, OK, well, I'm going to I'm going to keep playing music, keep writing songs in band, but I'm going to go to college and I'm going to get a job and, and do that kind of thing. And then we'll run these things parallel because, you know, one does not uh, negate the other. So it was. Uh, fortunately for me, I was, uh, you know, successful in business way before I was ever successful in music. So once you get to that point in the music career where you're starting to get some attention, you're starting to, you know, put out debut albums, uh, you start thinking about things like band names and, you know, image and who you are and that type of thing. And I thought it just best is to, you know, really just say, hey, this is who I really am in real life. I'm, you know, I'm the CEO of a company. I'm a, I'm a business guy. And but I'm also you know, a hard rocker too. So let's, let's combine the two, you know, kind of play it up a little bit and uh, hopefully people will look at it for what it is. It's more of an attitude than, uh, you know, a job title per se, you know, it's, it's an attitude of, around, you know, being the boss of your own life. So I think it just lent itself to, you know, uh, today's rock and roll. And, and, and let us know how, like what, you grew up in foster homes, right? I don't know what that's like. So that's got to be very difficult to stay grounded and to kind of find your path to get started in life, right? Yeah, you're right. I mean, for the first seven years of foster homes, as you imagine, you know, you're bouncing around from home to home, that type of thing. And, you know, no real sense of, uh, you know, purpose or who you are. But, you know, the one thing that you or that I had that, uh, you know, really kind of took a lot of the the stress or the you know, the drama around that type of living was music. 
you know, it, it was an escapism. And, you know, to this day, it, it, it still is. I mean, it's a way for us to, you know, you, you take a, a lot of the drama from the last year and you, you put on your favorite album or a, a new record. And for some reason, that kind of stuff just goes away. So uh, it, it has been there my entire life. And it has been a fire and a fuel um, that has pushed me for years. And it's, it's nice at, you know, 50 to finally, you know, be talking to folks like yourself, you know, about the music that you've been writing. And, and take me I, again, I want to go back a little bit because it's a, uh, it's a, it's a world that I'm not familiar with, but I'm just very curious about, cause I admire it. Was there like any sort of, cause growing up, I'm the oldest of four boys. And for the most part, we all like the kind of the same music. I'm, I'm, I definitely have the most passion, I guess, uh, for it and, and rock, but there was never really any music fights. What about growing up in like foster homes? Were you always the rock and roll kid, kind of like the outcast or what was that like? Did that, do you think that kind of shaped your musical taste as well? Well, it was weird because, you know, there wasn't a lot of music being played. There wasn't a lot around, you know, it was, it was a relatively sheltered type environment. You don't know what is out there, what's in mm -hmm. popular music. I mean, uh, it, it's, you know, there's a lot of, uh, you know, hymnals and, and that type of thing. And of course I was always very attracted to, you know, the guys uh, you know, on, on stage and the church band, but uh, you don't really know that it's there until I got adopted and the whole world opened at that point, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, music was being played and it was, uh, you know, it was, it was all different kinds. And uh, you know, of course I gravitated to the, you know, the, the big show, the big band, you know, and I, I was studying stage sets and liner notes and who was on what label. And it, it, you know, it, it became a, uh, an obsession of mine uh, at a really early age uh, music. So it was like, whatever it took to be one of those guys on that stage, I was going to do it. That's, that's awesome. So I guess when music was around, what influenced you early on? Like, like what bands or what artists? Because you do have a very, your your voice is not uh, common. You have a very unique voice. I was very su happily surprised when it came out. You know, you see this guy who looks like a CEO. Your, your video is the Redemption, which right. we're going to get into, of course, with uh, Vince Horms Hornsby of Seven Dust. And you, you're very clean cut. And I was like, all right, what kind of voice is going to come out of this? And wow, what a powerful voice. So I'm curious of, you know, maybe what uh, vocalists when you were younger, you know, did you kind of, maybe emulate uh, or who uh, really inspired you when you were younger? Well, yeah. I mean, when you're early, you're young like that. And, 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 you know, a lot of times you're influenced by the stuff that your parents listen to. And, and, you know, my adoptive parents were big Elvis fans and, mm. you know, I was, I was immediately attracted, not necessarily to his, his voice and which is obviously great. You know, it was the, it was the, um, you know, his, his outfits and, you know, how his charisma and his stage presence. And I'm like, wow, you know, I mean, these, these rock stars are, you know, bigger than life. And, you know, of course, back then with social media, you know, not around, I mean, these artists weren't as uh, accessible uh, to you. I mean, they lived mysterious lives. And, you know, so I was very attracted to, you know, guys like that. And then, you know, of course, I, you know, I mentioned Kiss was a big influence on me early. And again, it was another act with uh you know with, with lots of flamboyance and big stage show and that kind of thing and it wasn't you know i initially wanted to be a drummer but you know living in a small farmhouse with three bedrooms you know being a drummer was not an option uh and, and neither was being a guitar player 
for that matter. So it was just a matter of my folks said, okay, you want to be a rock star, then uh, why don't you be a singer? Well, you know, uh, they probably regretted that for quite a few years. We running around the house, you know, trying <laughs> to sound like uh, Robert Plant. You know? Right. There you go. So it's, uh, then of course in the eighties, you know, everybody, the higher you sang, the better it was. And, you know, so we spent a lot of time, you know, IE, you know, Axl Rose, when he came out, you know, it's like, how can I emulate that sound and doing this and that? And then, you know, and eventually you find your own voice, you know, what works for you. And, and this is what I sound like and, and, you know, what's comfortable for me. So, you know, it's certainly early on, it was all of those, you know, those big voice guys that, you know, were bigger than life. And, and I wanted to be that. So I got to use the, what I call the six degrees of GNR bacon, you know, uh, obviously appetite for distortion, using everything, you know, looking at life through uh, guns and rose colored glasses. So you mentioned Elvis, you've worked with Elvis, not that Elvis. I know. So if you can talk as uh, it was the guy who works with slash, right? Yes. Uh, Michael basket. Yes. So he, he worked on your upcoming uh, album. So, uh, is that your your only six degrees of of GNR bacon, or do you have any other maybe connections or stories, perhaps? No, I think that's probably the closest. I mean, literally, Slash was there the week before we came in to record. You know, and of course, his guitar is there. He's left a lot of guitar picks laying around. You walk into the studio for the very first time with a guy like uh, you know Elvis Basquette, whose you know resume speaks for itself. The platinum records are on the wall. And you're standing behind a microphone that Miles Kennedy sang on, you know, a, a week or so before that and playing the acoustic guitar on black arts that, that slash uses. So extremely intimidating at first, but working with a guy like Elvis is, I mean, he is so cool and so great at what he does. That intimidation goes out of the window after about 10 minutes. And mm. then you're just one of the guys and it was a phenomenal experience. I mean, the guy's a musical genius, in, in my personal opinion, but he's probably one of the coolest guys I've ever met. He's that cool. So how did you hook up with Elvis? Uh, it's funny you're saying that. And, and also uh, Vince Hornsby, of course, from Seven Dust, who I mentioned, uh, you know, how much is he featured on? The, is it just the, the song or is, it, is he a member of the band? Like, well, tell us about his, uh, his involvement in, uh, in the CEO. Yeah. Okay. I have to back up a little bit because they kind of connect to each other, but okay. uh, you know, I put together um, another iteration of the band um, a, a couple years ago and wrote uh, an independent record just to, you know, kind of get my jollies out if you would. And mm. we did a record release party here in Atlanta. And of course, you know, Vince lives here and he's like rock royalty here and he came out to hear his play and he loved it. He thought it was great. And he said, Hey, I'm going to send you down to what we call camp Elvis and see how you guys do in a proper studio. So he sent us down there and we cut, he said, I'm just going to send you down there for a few songs just to see how you guys do. And we did, we went down and cut four songs. And before we were even done, Elvis is calling up uh, Vince going, Hey, you're not only your boys doing really, really well down here, but you're coming down and you're joining the band as the bass player. Nice. So it, that's the circle of what it was that he did. And so the first four songs, you know, he's not on those, but the, the balance of the record, you know, he is. And, you know, it, it, it couldn't have been a better or a cooler process because he's, he's definitely in the band. He's, he's a super guy and we love him. So very cool. Cause you, you never know. Like it's, I knew he was involved obviously a lot with the band, but when, touring it which just seems to be back uh, it is back 
uh, with somebody who has a, a few big bands like Slash, you know, as, as speaking of which, it's hard to kind of balance that out. So you might get like a different touring person with. So I guess if we could talk about that, what what's um, the future? Because it is absolutely great. So Redemption is out. June 25th. June 25th. So we got some time. Yeah, okay. a couple so, singles are, are already out, videos out, but the record will drop the 25th. What would you say for people who maybe are just discovering you? Because obviously you're, you're, you're big in Atlanta. And I got to say, as a Knicks fan, that hurts a little bit because that was not, I don't know if you're a sports person. I am a sports person. And trust right. me, you got way more rings than we do. You got to let us have one, right? Oh, I'm, that's, that's sad uh, because the Knicks haven't won well, well before I was born. We, we got to get something down here, man. We're dying. Yeah. And I got to say, you know, what? I'm, uh, as a New Yorker to an, uh, what do you say, an Atlantean? Like, how yeah. do you... Okay. All right. Wow. I made that up. I got I to gotta apologize on behalf of my Nick fans because they were awful to like Trey Young, the things that they would chant to him. It was awful. You know, you got to expect that from Philly and New York, though. We know that, you know, oh, it's, that's part of the game. You I'm know? classier than that. Mess with us a little bit, right? <laughs> I guess I felt so bad when they're all like, Trey Young's balding. I'm like, oh, man, I'm sensitive to that, too. Like, oh, awful, awful, awful. So sorry. I have. I had an opportunity as a representative of New York, clearly, to somebody from Atlanta to just to say that. It's but it's all good. So tell us more about like who else is in the band that make up the uh, the CEO and do the, your business ventures in like all your different business, uh, your co- companies kind of mirror the kind of style you bring, I guess, if that makes any sense. Um, yeah, I think so. You know, obviously we were approached, you know, the music business as a business. And, you know, I guess that kind of helps in certain ways, but then again, at the same time, you know, uh, you know, I'll be the first to tell you, you know, we don't know shit. So this is our first time around the ride. And we look to guys like Vince and Elvis and, you know, the management team to kind of show us what it is that we're supposed to be doing. And, you know, I've got, you know, 30 years in business, you know, I, I, I know that, uh, you know, the trading business, that kind of thing really, really well. Uh, I don't know the business of signed rock acts the way that, you know, these guys do. So you know, right now, eyes wide open, ears wide open. And, uh, you know, we're just kind of taking it all in. It's going to be curious with somebody with your your knowledge and experience to to speak about once you really go through it, the, the music business that has obviously been very highly uh, criticized and it's been changing just mm-hmm. to get your viewpoint in on it at, at some point once you're you're in it uh but it's amazing that you're you're in it now you're living this dream already a successful person uh so yeah the debut album on uh, june 25th uh via rat pack records uh very cool it's very hey. awesome to meet you uh mac mullins and I can't wait to see you. You're going to, is that the plan to be out on the road and, and tour? Like how, um, yeah. Uh, seven dust is out right now. We've got June, July, August, and then a little into September. So okay. obviously once they clear the runway there, there you uh, go. There may okay. be some opportunity for us to jump on a couple of shows with them, but you know, obviously they, they, they've got a tour plan. They're doing that right now. And then when they come back, then, 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 uh, Vince and I and the group can get together and, and start looking at, uh, you know, festivals towards that kind of thing that we can pop onto. Awesome. So when you come to you know, New York city or long Island, somewhere in my, uh, my, you know, area, I, I'd love to meet you and just rock out to the CEO. I'll, I'll wear a suit and tie. I'll, you'll, I'll be come. A, you'll be the first one we call brother. Trust me. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks for having us. We appreciate the support very much. Thanks for hanging out.
again for another episode of Appetite for Distortion on this uh, GNR-themed bar mitzvah party of a broadcast. And I will tell you some upcoming guests that we have. Josh Todd will be making his guest appearance. That might be the next episode, okay? And another guest I'm really excited to, to finally announce. If you follow on social media, uh, facebook.com slash the AFD show, uh, on, on Twitter at the AFD show, Instagram, I already posted, he's coming on. Send Dog from Cypress Hill. Yeah. Send Dog from Cypress Hill will be on the Appetite for Distortion program. So that's going to be a lot of fun. And any upcoming guests, again, if you want to be part of the episode, if you want to, A, just ask questions. Always, always, always submit questions. But if you want to be a guest co-host, always doing that. I may do that for, for Josh Todd. I may have one of you be my co-host for that upcoming interview with Josh Todd. First time it was just me and Todd over the phone. Me and Todd, me and Josh over the phone. And now it's going to be on Zoom. So I will, I may give one of you a Zoom interview experience with Josh Todd. So always um, be on the lookout for who's upcoming for, for interviews so you can be a part of it. So you can be a part of the show more than you already are because there's no way I would have gotten to 275 episodes without you, the listener. So thank you. And there are new people finding us all the time. So please tell a friend. That's how we get bigger and bigger and bigger. And that's how we're going to keep getting more awesome guests and, and talking about Guns N' Roses during the whole process. I'm just looking forward to talking all summer long as the, as the tour uh, picks back up, I guess you can say. Anyway, that does it for this episode of Appetite for Distortion. When will you see the next episode? In the words of Axel Rose concerning Chinese democracy, you'll see it. I don't know as soon as the word. No! Yeah! Yeah! Thanks to the lame ass security, I'm going home. <laughs>